This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 20 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we are going to uh, have a third round of Nicholas Meyer goodness, this time looking at his new miniseries for television, which just aired uh, a couple weeks ago. And that is Houdini. So, um, we'll just get this thing started. Now, this is a uh, television... Well, I guess it is a miniseries, technically. A two it is parts. what they call a biopic. Yeah. Despite and, being a biopics. Yes. And it is uh, about, basically, the life of Houdini. But it's taking sort of a uh, an interesting approach to it where there's a lot dealing with uh, his relationship with his wife and his relationship with his mom yeah, and um, just kind of like looking at uh, how that sort of influenced what it was that he did publicly yeah um, I thought the first part was really weird and then the second part I was, I was, it was actually really helpful because I wasn't paying attention to the beginning when I started it, and the second one, I was like, "Oh, it's based on a book that has uh, like what is it? Like a psychoanalytic? Yes, I can't remember the name of the book, but it's like very, very Freudian. Yeah, it's it's based on a book which was a psychoanalytic psychoanalytic portrait. Yes, That's it. Um, which is something that um, I guess uh, this author did, Bernard C. Meyer. Is yeah. his name, and he is, amongst other things, the father of Nicholas Meyer, who wrote the miniseries. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting, but I guess, like you know, kind of like looking at at what uh, Meyer Senior has done. I know that he was a a psychiatrist, and he that was his sort of main gig. But he did psychiatrist or psychologist psychiatrist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was his main gig, but he did do um, a lot of uh, writing, and uh, pr- his most famous work, like I-, I don't know if he did like a series of these or just a couple, a couple of them, but um, there's one for Joseph Conrad. Yeah, now I'm remembering because we talked about this. I want to. Well, it, we we didn't really talk about it that much, but it might have been in the book that Meyer wrote, "The View from the Bridge." Um, so so that's kind of interesting. Um, another kind of interesting little Star Trek parental connection is that the one of the executive producers on this piece is Gerald W. Abrams, who is the father of J.J. Abrams. Yep. Um, and I do remember from something, somewhere, 
that uh, Gerald W. Abrams and Nicholas Meyer are uh, friends because I remember at some point uh, there was an interview, I think, with, with J.J. where they were talking to him and he was saying that, you know, oh, my, my dad was friends with Nicholas Meyer back in the day. I remember going to Meyer's house when I was a kid and and stuff. So and he saw he had a whole bunch of really cool things in his house, and I thought, I would like to break some of these. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's one way of looking at it. Um, so, yeah, the, the, that's kind of a, a cool little thing. But... I guess let's get into the to the miniseries on the whole first, because there's some interesting stuff here. Now, yeah, the reason why we're talking about this is because it was written by Meyer. Um, it wasn't directed by him. It was directed by a guy named Uli Adel, or Edel, 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 E-D-E-L, Adel. I pronounce it like um, like Eden, but with an L, Edel. Edel, okay, Uli Edel. It's probably not accurate, but who cares? It's a name. He um, has directed numerous things in the past. He's had a, a pretty big career. I know he's been um, nominated for um, a, a DGA award for um, Rasputin, and he's been. I think. I think he made a movie which was uh, nominated for uh, best foreign film a couple of years ago. He was also nominated for a Razzie for Body of Evidence. But he has directed a lot of stuff for, for television as well as film. Some of the TV shows that he's worked on are Oz, Homicide, Twin Peaks, so uh, Tales from the Crypt. So, yeah, he, he's done so he's been So he's been around for a while. Yeah. So what did you think about this movie? It's weird. Generally speaking, biopics are sort of a tricky thing, and there's a, there are a lot of different ways to, to get it wrong. I, I was actually rather impressed by it, you know, for a lot of things, but for the most part, the idea that the History Channel produced this thing is very surprising. It's a, it's a whole new world out there in the realm of basic cable. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is kind of crazy to think, like, this is... Like this isn't just a a cheapo one off. I mean, no, got, it's, it's like it's for they took it for real. This is serious. Like, like you just you just look at some of the other people involved. I mean, Adrian Brody, of course. I mean, that dude's won an Oscar, so you stick him in in something, and that's crazy. But like, um, for example, uh, Carl Walter Lindelob was the cinematographer. Like he's you know the guy who shot. Um, Chronicles of Narnia, and um, okay. I mean, it, like he's done. T- he's he's shot Independence Day, you know. Okay, he shot. Has he shot a good movie? Uh, the, the, my point here. Okay, my point here is that he is a, a very well established guy, yeah. who they they will give millions and millions of dollars worth of uh, responsibility to. Yeah, you know, he's not just some random dude who they they pulled off the street no you can you can criticize a lot of the people in their their past certainly adrian brody he's made some awful movies but he's also made some good movies yeah he's made mm, yeah maybe at least one but no matter what the, the 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 track record of the people involved they were expensive people yeah it's it's very high end this is an a-list production you know Yes. Maybe not quite at like HBO level, 
but certainly at like AMC level. Yeah, there are a lot of surprising things about the scale and and uh, and motivation, intention, purpose. Uh, like, like they were, they were doing something that you would not expect the history channel to be doing. And they did it in a way that was surprisingly well handled. Yeah. I, I would not have expected the history channels biopic miniseries on Houdini to actually be only really bad on the levels that most things are. It is not cheap, it is not sloppy. It's like this is a big polished movie. If this was in theaters, no one would be surprised. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't feel out of place. Um, it would feel long, yeah, repetitive. It's, 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 it's interesting. I mean, on the whole, I, I thought it was very good, but in a very sort of unique way. The oh, style. That's a, that's, that's a good one. What what I'm saying is like, um, you know, you you hear that there's going to be a Houdini biopic on the History Channel, written by Nicholas Meyer, and you get a certain image in your head, especially when they throw people like Adrian Brody in the mix. You're like, okay, I think I have an idea of what that's going to look like. I think it's probably going to look like, um, say time after time or something like that. I mean, obviously it's, you know, uh, a kind of a, a, a different time period, but that sort of, you know, like reserved classical style. And that's not what this is at all. It is very much considering, a, yeah, considering the director, it is very modern. It's, it's extremely modern. Yeah. It's, you know what it feels like? I kept on thinking about this and Feels a little too modern. This is this is going to be like a kind of a, a weird comparison to make, but I kept on thinking that it felt like an episode of that show with Howie Mandel. Was it called Deal or No Deal, the game show thing? Yeah. Like I always saw the end of it because it was on like right before Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip. That's funny because I remember the Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip episode where they parodied the show, yeah. which is how I understand how the show worked. But oh, and like, the Thirty Rock parody where there was a briefcase filled with gold. But but it's it's like a kind of a weird. Um, I mean that show was was really weird because it's like your typical game show where it's like, are you going to open the case or not? Oh, we're going to give you a deal. But the way that it's done is it's like the most dramatic thing ever in the history of drama. You know, where it's well, like... Yeah, it's like who wants to be a millionaire with the unbelievable music yeah, cues, like, lighting. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. You know, and then like the camera's like zooming in on the people. And it's like, are you going to do it? Oh, we're getting a call from upstairs. And then you look upstairs and you see someone walking around, but you just see their silhouette and like a command center and everything. And like the music is just like, dun, 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 dun. Oh my God, this is so intense. When in reality, it's just like people sitting around like a room talking to each other. Yeah, and then and there's like one guy weird... upstairs in a bathrobe with a coffee mug right. behind some frosted glass. And, and there's some like weird, you know, quick editing and everything like that. That's how this movie felt. And it was almost like I, I, I got the impression. I, I mean, who knows for sure? I'm not saying that this is what happened. But like you look at the way that it was shot and the way that it's written and everything like that. 
And I mean, a big key to this whole thing is the music, which is by another Star Trek veteran, by the way, John Debney, and another high profile um, uh, filmmaker, uh, John Debney. He's he he uh, did the music for Pegasus uh, in Next Gen. That's the only Star Trek episode that he did. But like these days, he's known for doing things like Iron Man Two. Predators, uh, <laughs> Doctor Who, he's done some stuff. Really? He did uh, yeah. Sin City. He oh. did, I mean, he's done tons of th- things, tons and tons of movies uh, from like all genres and everything like that. He's very highly sought after. Um, he's got like 10 projects in the works right now. Uh, it, it's it's very cool, and and I mean he has done things like this before. You know he did that Bonnie and Clyde miniseries, he did the Hatfields and McCoys miniseries, but even then, like those two things were super high profile, and you know they, so they grab like the guy yeah. who's known for doing those types of miniseries. It's very interesting, but that the music in it is so weird in that it's very very, it's almost like. Hans Zimmery, like when Hans Zimmer is doing like the crazy stuff with like electric guitars and synthesizers and stuff. It, it's it's very strange stylistically. I kind of got the impression watching it. And again, this is what this is what I was getting at. I wonder how much of it was changed in the editing room. I mean, like we do these these exercises when you go to film school and and you're, they teach you editing, you know, and stuff like that, where they say like, here's a bunch of raw footage, cut this scene together, and then, you know, you get like if there's twenty people in the class, you'll get like, um, eighteen, uh, uh, edits which are exactly the same, and then you'll get one which is really good, and then another one which is just really weird and completely different from what. Uh, you know was it intended and watching this thing i'm like there's no real reason why they couldn't have cut this movie together in a different way to make it play much more classically and you know you you throw out the debony score and you hire someone like uh, um john williams or someone to come in and write something more along the lines of what you'd find in, say, Lincoln. And then all of a sudden, you've got um, a movie which is geared more towards the masterpiece theater crowd than towards the deal or no deal crowd. You know what I mean? I think... Yeah, I know what you mean, but I don't think that that is the thing that was going on. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm torn in watching it. I'm like, did they... I have a feeling that's what was going on in Nicholas Meyer's head when he was writing it. And, you know, I'm very curious to know what Nicholas Meyer... What, what do you mean? What like, was going on in his head when he was writing Like, I think when Nicholas Meyer was writing this script, you know, being a filmmaker himself, I'm sure that he had a certain um, idea of what type of movie it would be, right? You sort of visualize it in your head. Yeah. I don't think this is what he visualized. I mean, obviously, see, I don't know for sure. You see, I, this is the thing. I, I kind of think that the thing that you're describing, this weird... Let's just describe what we're talking about. This movie doesn't... I'm just going to call it a movie because that's easier. Fine. All right, this thing, it has a weird um, um, temporal component in that uh, in scenes that don't seem 
like um, they deserve loud um, and fast-paced, yeah, uh, intense music and editing. That stuff is there. Yeah, and but the thing is, those 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 sequences, those moments where it becomes this weird, where that that little that little bit of like music video energy is is awakened. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all about things that they're that the, that the movie and the filmmakers are trying to connect directly to who Harry Houdini was, what yeah. made him what he was, what is his like like spiritual DNA, and how it led through how this particular like like whatever the abstract concept is that's being depicted in this scene, how it guided his entire existence, even including to the moment of his death. Yeah. And in some cases even beyond. Like that that is in this on a regular basis and that doesn't seem all that surprising because like that is kind of that is kind of what it is. I mean like it is sort of like the whole point of like the psychoanalytic portrait. It's like yeah, basically this entire thing is this is who Harry Houdini was and this is why. And that why because it's part of like the entire thing means that you're constantly connecting this to everything. So every moment, even those little mundane moments, if they are in some way telling moments, they are for the the subjective like like view on Harry Houdini, pretty much the most important things that could be talked about. So yeah, they're gonna have an intense score because this right here is part of who he was, why he was the way he was, and if you took it out, he would be an entirely different person, and he probably would have died in a different place under different circumstances and probably wouldn't have had such an embarrassing death. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, I, I think that all of that stuff is completely appropriate for this, and I think that it's well done, and, you know, I think that also what it does is kind of um, give modern-day audiences, people who were sort of raised in the MTV generation, a sense of what Houdini was to the people of, you know, the early 1900s, you know? It's, it, 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 in a sense, through the style, kind of captured um, the spirit of Houdini back then. Well, I mean, really? Yeah. I don't think the people back then thought of Houdini as a man. With like psychological issues well, well, in a relationship I'm, with his I'm wife. Not, I'm not talking about the the psychoanalytical portrait of him. I'm talking about um, the sort of spectacle behind his presentations and everything like that. I mean, these days it's like, oh, you know, we're going to show a trick where somebody is on one side of a wall, and then we're going to put up a curtain, and then we're going to take the curtain down, and he's gone to the other side of the wall. And, you know, wow, how did he do that? That's amazing, right? And it's like, that doesn't fly these days. But if you, if you present it in a certain way, if you present the movie in a certain way, the movie sort of becomes like a proxy for the spectacle of his shows and his persona back in 1900 or whenever. I guess. I think that seems a little... I don't. I, I I don't think that works. I mean, I don't think that's accurate. Okay. Like I, I think that like what what happened is that the like the subject was chosen, and upon depicting some of those moments, it was well, like you know, even on paper, you realize, 
oh, this is boring. We need to not make this book or movie and come up with a better approach. Like the psychoanalytic portrait thing is like that to me. I think is the, there's the crux of why it works because a straight biopic of Harry Houdini would not be particularly exciting because he actually, despite having a really bizarre psychology, weird history, he was actually kind of strangely mentally healthy and not particularly troubled. Like he had some problems, but like compared to even a, even a a mundane politician, Seemed bizarrely mentally healthy and uh, had a relatively uneventful life. Yeah, yeah. Behind the curtain, he was okay. Yeah, I'll pick up. Uh, no, I'll pick up the. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll pick up the eggs on the. I'm just gonna go. I'm covered yeah. in chains, sweetie. I will be home at like nine. Yeah, yeah. And it's just it's just one of those things. You hear these stories. You see these these things and these alternate. Uh, edits of movies and stuff like that where they drastically change them. I mean, you know, the one that comes to mind is, say, Brazil. But there's even times where there's just, like, they replace the score, and it's like, wow, that's different. You know, like uh, Legend, for example, or something. And it's like, wow, this is changing the movie. They changed the score to Legend? Yeah, like the the one that was in theaters was by Tangerine Dream, right? So just Ridley Scott, for just for just a couple of movies in a row, just decided to have two scores. And yeah, Jerry Goldsmith wrote really the original weird. score. So it's really weird. I forgot. I didn't know the legend because I mean, obviously, we know about Blade Runner thing, but yeah, like that's oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the director's cut of Legend has the Jerry Goldsmith score, if I'm not mistaken. I was like, this worked great on Legend. Let's try it again. Yeah. Well, this is fun. So, so th- that's just kind of a weird thing. I'd, I'd like to see what the first cut of this movie was. I'd be very curious to see the first cut of Houdini. It, maybe that maybe there wouldn't be a difference. But I don't. I, yeah, I don't think this was an editorial choice. It's th- it's the. I mean, I mean it's adapted is, from a book that basically informs you exactly why it's done that way. Th- there is there is stuff in there which you know you could see that. I mean, there's the whole thing where there's this this sort of repeated. Um, theme of him getting punched in the stomach, right? Yes. Which at first I thought was really weird, but then when I got to the end of it, I was like, oh, oh, okay. You didn't know how Houdini died? No, I didn't know how Houdini died. Really? No. Why would I well, know uh, what was it? What was it? A was it his appendix? Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't actually think it was the punch. Yeah. Well. I think that 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 exacerbated things. Mm-hmm. But he should have canceled the show and gone to a hospital. Yeah. It doesn't matter that he was punched. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's talk about uh, the cast a little bit because it's it's kind of cool. I mean, you got Adrian Brody in there who was, you know, an Oscar winner. And, you know, the other person who was kind of really a standout to me and someone who I had never really paid attention to up until about a week ago is uh, Kristen Connolly, uh, who plays his wife. Um, she, the first time I I had ever noticed her, at least, was in Cabin in the Woods. And then uh, a few weeks ago, I was watching the first episode of House of Cards. I'm like, who is that woman? She looks really familiar. And now here she is. She popped up again. I'm like, who is that woman? She looks really familiar. And it's like, she's seems to be a, a pretty big up-and-coming actress, and she's really, really good. Yeah. Um, 
So that I mean the, the the cast in this movie I think is very solid. Obviously Adrian Brody is really good. Kind of a weird thing for him to do when you think about it, but I guess that's sort of like what's happening uh these days, you know, they're getting big name stars to come in and do television shows and I think sort of in a way uh the the networks are thinking that this will lend a certain amount of legitimacy to their program, you know? I mean, it's very strange to think that we are living in a world where Halle Berry is doing, like, a science fiction show on CBS. I'm sorry to inform you of this, but that is not the direction that this is flowing. Okay. Well? It's 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 the, the collapse of the American economy and actors no? trying to get steady work because television is an ongoing paycheck. Well, maybe, but not in this case. <laughs> you know, not not in this case. I mean, no, but but like there's 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 definitely an argument because like while Harry Berry is is doing this thing, she's all, he also did some other TV stuff, and part of it was to be part of, get like essentially networked in this other community. Yeah, like it's a, it is a very weird environment right now economically, and it's a, and, and in some ways it's 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 helpful for for the audience because we get um, you know amazing people doing these things, and uh, and it's and it's sad in other ways uh, because it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Now there is one other uh, interesting thing in this movie that I specifically wanted to touch on. Because, for one thing, I think it's kind of the most interesting thing in the movie, but also because it very much ties into uh, everything else that we've looked at in regards to Nicholas Meyer and his okay, work. Okay, let's talk about Adrian Brody's abs. <laughs> and that is... What's uh, with them? I mean, he's clearly fit, but what is with those abs? <clears throat> and that, of course, is the interaction between Houdini and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This I found to be very bizarre. E.g. how their abs are similar. Yes. Yeah. So there's there's a whole sequence in this movie where uh, Doyle sees a show and he's amazed by by it. And, and Houdini is obviously a very big fan of Doyle. And Doyle and his wife come backstage. At that point in time, he is a big fan of Doyle. They're saying like, "Oh my god, okay, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle." We're doing this, okay. <laughs> That's that was my reaction to this part of the miniseries. I was like, "Really? Are we doing this?" See, see, to me, it, it it's it's interesting because you know when they when they first did it, I thought it was just going to be like a one off scene. No, it's like, I mean, well, really? I, well, yeah. Now I know because. I mean, you didn't. I find a way that you didn't know about that. Like I'm not, the seance. I'm not thing. big on on uh, Houdini and his life. I knew that Houdini uh, spent, you know, a good portion of his career trying to debunk mystics, but I didn't know that Arthur Conan Doyle's wife was one of them. I didn't know that they had all these interactions with each other. I'm not really a huge Houdini fan. Well, neither am I. But I mean, like I've heard the story. I mean, I don't know where exactly, but like. I don't know. I feel like I've seen this reenacted like nine times. Yeah, I've never <laughs> never seen it. Uh, but what 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 happened anyway? For those people who don't know, is in the movie at least, uh, Doyle and his wife come backstage, and Doyle is like, "Oh my god, bro, that was, that was so off the hook. You I, totally I went in on that. I can't 
you 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 totally okay. Anyway, and and um, and he says, you know, that you walked through the wall, and you know, I, I've. I've I've studied it. I looked at the stage and everything like that, and I've determined that the only way that you could have done that was through the use of like straight up real magic. Mm-hmm. And Houdini is like, what? The guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes, which is like the most logical and uh, best example of like deductive reasoning, like ever in the history of like uh, literature, is not willing to accept that I, like, just tricked him? What what happened is that he went, he saw something he didn't understand, and he's like, I always understand everything. Obviously, he's a sorcerer. Yeah, exactly. And if I were opposed to black magic, I would totally burn him as a witch. But as it turns out, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's just a different just a different place. I mean, like, you know, if he lived in Boston, it would be a whole different deal. Yeah. So so that was very strange. And I thought, like, that's a really cool scene. And, and it really does kind of, like, speak to the idea of um, celebrity and stuff like that. And, you know, the thing that happens where, you know, you idolize someone and then you meet them in person and you realize that, you know they're an idiot or a jackass or whatever. And I mean, that's something which I think that episode of growing pains where Ben met that guy from that band. Yeah. I I don't know what that is, but I mean, I know what growing pains is, is, but you know, (laughs) but yeah, I mean that kind of thing. And that's obviously something which everyone, you know, deals with. It's just sort of like something, but I'm like, that's really kind of cool that they did that here. And it's also kind of weird that Meyer, who, obviously idolizes the work of Doyle a lot would kind of put this in that thing but then it kept no, on going I mean, but like it, it's a chapter in Doyle's life as well that informs him like I mean like like it's part of the picture of of Doyle that we have that this this episode occurred yeah. without it like and and Meyer is the type of person who's smart enough to know that you know, painting an entire portrait of someone, the good and the bad, is ultimately much more beneficial than just sort of, you know, whitewashing something or whatever. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's. I mean, in, in, in many ways, it's not even a question of being, being beneficial. I mean, essentially, by making the guy flawed, all the amazing things that he did are that much more impressive because they're like, he really did them. Yeah, he was really just like actually that good. Like he's not like a mythic figure that like like a like a bunch of. He's not Homer. He's not like a thousand different guys over the course of two hundred years, and like it's all been attributed to one random dude. Like this is a guy who actually did like a lot of amazing things, and we know that because he his mistakes are on record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I thought it was a really interesting chapter in the movie, and then, and then the way that it kind of you know turns and becomes you know a different part of his life after his mother dies and his sort of like goals in life are are altered and um it it is kind of cool you know especially since you know we we just read a few well at this point i guess it was over a year ago we read the houdini and lovecraft book that that ron wilkerson wrote and basically like that kind of picks up 
where this movie sort of leaves off. Like about when there's probably like a half an hour left in this movie is probably right around the time that that Houdini and Lovecraft uh, is taking place. You know. Well, actually, yeah, they sort of they're connected events. I mean, yeah. like like Lovecraft came in most directly after that, mm-hmm. and it's part of that weird history because Houdini's priorities changed. Yeah, and uh, and that's kind of cool. There's actually a little bit of overlap, but I mean, you know, you, yeah. can't, you can't get everything in there. Yeah. So yeah, that that I thought was really interesting, and um, I thought it kind of spoke a lot to. Meyer and Meyer's involvement and everything and and uh, his interests and and how they they intersect with this story of Houdini and his and his dad's interests, which is is kind of interesting. Yeah. So, um, any any final thoughts on Houdini and how this fits into Meyer's overall body of work? I have my problems with this thing, but they're kind of like production. Mm-hmm. Issues, and it's not like it, it like it like is screwed up in any like you know fundamental way. It's just sort of like hmm, hmm. I'm not sure if there is a way of doing this with this character that is particularly powerful. Mm-hmm. And like part of it is like like I, like I like I said a little bit ago, Houdini is actually just not that broken a person. And as 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 characters go, as as figures for for interesting like drama go, that's not particularly effective, and and it's actually just kind of fun seeing Houdini's life and seeing his history, and the only problem that I have with it is it's actually kind of repetitive. Yeah, and is, and um... and the repetitive quality, like on the one hand, I attribute to like you know. TV attention span attenuation, and on the other hand, I think, well, you know, it is, it is, it still actually feels kind of accurate as like as like the, the psychoanalytic portrait point of view. It would be repetitive, and that's sort of the point. Like you have to show a pattern by being repetitive in some way, and the only problem is that this particular pattern isn't particularly dramatic. It's just kind of neat. Yeah. It's just kind of neat. I mean, like, you come away from this thinking, like, you know, Houdini has problems, but I could actually hang out with that dude. He's a pretty nice guy. Yeah. I like that guy. Yeah. Uh, for me, you know, I, I do think it's a, a good movie. Um, I, I did have a couple problems with it as well, but they were all fairly minor. Um, I think that the style is very interesting. Whether or not that was their original intention, I, I, I do uh, think that it's it's cool. And different and and funky and weird and and something that I think a lot of people are kind of scared to try, like I think the times when people tend to go to this style are associated with the times when people tend to deviate from the actual um, historical events. Well, and it's it, also it's also very shark jumpy. Yeah, it feels like the point where they lost the plot. Uh huh. But in many cases, it's also exactly what's needed yeah if the if a different approach had been taken with this it would have been wrong mm-hmm. but i think as it as it stands that it's uh pretty uh, pr- pretty good pretty solid and i i would definitely recommend it the in terms of like how it fits into meyer's career i mean i think that it is kind of cool that uh you do see a lot of the same um sort of topics 
and um, mm. uh, types of characters. You know, from I mean, obviously he he seems to be very interested in that part of history, but also like that type of person. You know, regardless of of the time period or anything, there's there's an interesting uh, thing where he approaches things from a psychoanalytic perspective a lot of the times. And uh, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with, you know, his dad and, and everything. Um, and, and also just sort of the idea of, like, taking historical characters and intersecting them with other historical characters, whether they're fictional or not. I mean, that's kind of an interesting idea. And, and you see that, you know, happening again and again in his stuff and here, too. And I think that that's cool. And... Um, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't it kind of seem like maybe at some point... Meyer was criticized for having too many historical figures meet each other in his fiction. And he's like, okay, it straight up happens. Yeah. I'm going to show you like a bunch of real world examples and it's going to take me 30 years. And then you're going to be like, well, it's weird. There actually are a lot of examples of that happening in real life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I guess just my, my one final thought on it is, God, I wish that someone would just let him direct one of these scripts that he wrote i know that you know he's talked about how he's not hot now and everything like that but i wish something like houdini would just blow up and then someone would be like you know nicholas meyer i mean like you mean blow up in the uh in the uh, in the in the rap battle sense yeah not the um hurt locker one right exactly okay and and you know i mean like I, i i would love for someone like HBO to to someone like HBO some some network like HBO oh, or something like that, that HBO to to give him you know a, a series you know like a true detective type of series and just be like here Nicholas Meyer do whatever you want you write it you direct it we will put it on the air and it will be awesome you know I really wish we could get it's to that HBO, point it's, HBO. it's not on air and and one <laughs> of the things which it is if you get it over uh, satellite. Um, and then one guess, of yeah. one of the things which which you know I thought about, and I had thought about this back a while ago, but this this movie reminded me of it with, you know, the fact that it was executive produced by Gerald Abrams, JJ's dad. It's like, God, why couldn't JJ be like, you know, you know, I'm working with Lawrence Kasdan right now. That's working out pretty well. Um, what if? What if, since I'm not doing Star Trek 13 or whatever, what if I were to just kind of hand this off to my dad's old buddy, Nicholas We're going to need Meyer. to go to video at some point so that I can turn to an actual audience. <laughs> I'm just saying. And roll my eyes, and they go like, hey, yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? That would be so awesome. Oh, that would be so awesome if the world was an entirely different place. I'm just saying. And the fu- and the universe functioned by different rules. Anyway. You're living in a fantasy world, man. Maybe. There are no win scenarios. Mm-hmm. It, they exist. Okay. All right. Well, it was fun talking about Nicholas Meyer and his new miniseries, Houdini. But that's not all that we're talking about this week on Trek FM, so here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And, like, we were so busy, I, we didn't eat, like, all day. <laughs> I had yeah. a Red Bull around 5 o'clock, right before the Parsecs. Uh, I could feel my teeth 
like tingling. Yeah, yeah. It was weird. Earl Grey. He was robbing the Bocle, as it, as they say it in a uh, in Klingon. <laughs> I, as a Klingon word, I just made up just to see that. I think we could tell it. The orb. What I also liked too was that Nog said, "Put that in there too," to Jake, and let people decide. And that just summed up DS9 for me because DS9 is, you know, we're not going to tell you for sure he's a bad captain, even though obviously I think most people would agree that he was. To the journey! Oh yeah, Balana's reading romantic fanfic. Not everything is fanfic, okay? This yes, could it be is. a legitimate author with a legitimate publisher. <laughs> no, this is Klingon Harlequin. You know it is. Warp 5. The Orions, there's something really complex going on within their society, and there's a long-term struggle where the women have flipped the table on the men. And how does that all play out? And it's something where I wish Enterprise had gone for seven seasons and they could have continued to revisit this and we find out more and more. The Ready Room. You know, people have seen that image. That, that image in particular, just that still of her with the Desilu yeah. logo over it, is really iconic. Mm-hmm. And in fact, what I discovered is it's not a still. It's probably 26 different stills. Commentary, Trek stars. A number of scenes uh, from especially the end of Into Darkness are sort of lifted and adapted from Wrath of Khan to be used in this story. Lifted and Google translated into this version. Literary Treks. We all know Troy gets all the, the men that come on, the, the, the all the envoys, actually. You, you notice that she really likes these bad boy envoy men, you know? <laughs> she does. Continuing mission. How is Spock changing? How is he changed from the moment he met Captain Kirk from the, the, the non-mirror universe? What is his ultimate goal? Axanar, the official podcast. So basically, you've got this souped-up computer with this lens on the front of it. And um, because the resolution has increased so much with these cameras, the amount of data coming out of that camera is enormous. And join us in welcoming aboard Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm really, really glad that you mentioned Parliament Funkadelic. I could not watch this at all without thinking about George Clinton. Yeah, uh, just every time he talks about going to Parliament, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) who wouldn't want to go? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream them from the website. Just visit Trek.fm for podcast uh, directory to get all the links. If you'd like to contact us, uh, you could leave us a, a review on iTunes or you could send us an email at comtrackstars at gmail.com. Totally could. Or you could also uh, click the little button on the side of the, the page on trek.fm and send us a, a message that way. It is within your power to do so. Or you can hit us up on Twitter at comtrackstars. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps bring uh, commentary, Trek Stars, to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like... 
Prime Directive and Federation and Spock's World. Audible has something for everyone. Uh, it's also got some of Nicholas Meyer's novels, things that we've covered earlier in the show, things like The 7% Solution, um, which was written by Meyer and is narrated by David Case. You can get the unabridged version, the whole six hours and 47 minutes of it. Um, it's awesome. Like Sherlock Holmes goes to rehab. Yeah. Oh, and, someone does. And and you you can get this book for free um, since you listen to Trek FM. Uh, here here's the the summary. Um, this rediscovered Sherlock Holmes adventure recounts the unique collaboration of Holmes and Sigmund Freud in the solution of a mystery on which the lives of millions may depend. Word for word, but I said earlier. Yeah, and uh, like we said, you can get it for free on Audible. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with the 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek.fm. And lastly, if you go to uh, patreon.com slash trekfm, you can find uh, another way uh, in which you can help us out, and that is by uh, donating uh, to the show to help keep it on the air to the network i should say um patreon from from what i gather is kind of like kickstarter but for like sort of a monthly subscription thing and just like kickstarter there's certain um rewards for donating uh they got some cool things it's kick continuer yeah kit kick continuer yes um i say on that 17 times fast for a small fee yeah. Every month. They've got they've got different levels. I mean, you know, you can give just a dollar to show support or whatever. Or, you know, I mean, there's some good stuff for, for, for a minimal amount of of donation. Like for two dollars, you get access to exclusive content on our Patreon channel. Yeah. Where you can hear us do who knows what? Other shows? Yeah. Outtakes? Stuff that we're going to totally get around to doing? Yeah, I've, I've got some ideas. Good ideas? I've got some, I've got some other ideas. So um, good ideas? Well, I was thinking, like, maybe we could do, like, um, some sort of pilot episodes for... Better ideas than things we wouldn't do. Yes. Worse ideas than things we're already doing. Yes. All right. Something like that. So, so, so help us out. Go to patreon.com slash trek fm and uh become a patron or a patreon yes patreonize us well that's about it for our look at nicholas meyer and his work on houdini uh we will be back next week with larry nemechek to discuss robert wise and his work on star trek the motion picture 